Now is the chance to use reliable energy to grow your money with the Dominion Energy Reliability Investment. Our new investment product offers competitive returns, no maintenance fees, and flexible online access to your money. Make the reliable investment in reliable energy. The Dominion Energy Reliability Investment. To find out more, go online to reliabilityinvestment.com. That's reliabilityinvestment.com. No radio? No problem. Stream us live on saga960am.ca. you're back here on the source at saga 960 i'm annie koshi and you can hear me every saturday and sunday from 3 to 5 p.m and we're on repeat again from uh 9 to 11 p.m and then we are on again from um 8 to 10 on thursdays so if you miss out on today's show feel free to tune in tonight and we are going to be on podcast as well so that's a wonderful way for you to hear our shows if you haven't had a chance well i do have a guest this afternoon and my guest is canadian supermodel nini amerlees who has taken the world by storm with a high level of drive and consistency and dynamic ability to adopt to her environment nini boldly produces an atmosphere to get work done with maximum results. The eight-time award-winning trailblazer has been featured and showcased on some of the most prestigious platforms worldwide and is the founder of We Are Royals Esteem Platform. Welcome to our studio, Nini. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. <laughs> yeah, it's great to have you here amidst all of the things that are happening with our beautiful city of Toronto and the surrounding regions around our country, mm. um, with other countries that we are in, by, you know, relations with that we're watching internationally. Now, Europe, um, a lot of uncertainty in terms of economic repercussions with uh, what's happening. But we're here to talk about your journey and what's happened and how you've become who you are today. And just to take the mind off of people with all of their, you know, things that are going on with them. A lot of families that are stuck inside um, because a lot of uh, different events are closed. And so they're tuning in right now to hear us talk and to hear what your journey has been. And to let's start that off by just sharing. Let's start with your um early childhood and where you grew up and and what was that like oh yeah well I definitely love to like share a little bit of a highlight of just the process overall and how it began and you know it it started in Scarborough I was born in North York North York Toronto okay and my mother brought me to Scarborough with our um, five siblings I have three older siblings and a baby brother and um they were quite older than me um, my eldest sister currently is 42 Following to that, we have, you know, 38 and then as right. well as um, 37, I believe. You know, it's kind of hard to keep track of the age as we get older. Your mom had a school. <laughs> Hats off to your parents. <laughs> oh, my goodness. And then actually on my dad's side, I have 12 siblings. Wow. And um, I only recently now started to connect with them. Right. Because I was actually the one sibling in my family that did not have the same father with my three elder siblings. I was the the random in between. Right. And then my baby brother came into um, the scene. Into life, right. So you grew up in North Yorker in Toronto. And uh, 
Were you always interested in fashion, even as a young child? I could say a little bit of that because my mother loved fashion. She was always dressing up. She loved, you know, looking very almost like Michelle Obama like okay you know blazers colors flamboyance very bold in her dressing and then my sister went to um, fashion design at George Brown College right and I believe that kind of influenced how I saw you know just even the fashion world but it was never a desire to be a model um, I've always been interested in like drawing and painting and doing arts um, right later on discovering I love music but right. it was never fashion. Okay, and so when you were in high school, what was uh, something that comes to mind with what you enjoyed doing the most? In high school, it was actually production. Production okay, and um, graphic design and painting as well. Right, so you found yourself in the creative realm, mm-hmm. in sort of the artsy. Did you go on to university to do something in arts? Yes, I did graphic design at York U. And um, again, it wasn't... an inclination to do it is more or less it was the last course so to speak creatively available because I applied late right and then through applying I'm like okay why don't I try this out first year I was doing terrible my marks were not the greatest because of all the pressures but then eventually it transcended into doing very well and I became um, I guess one of the top in the class now, how, it hasn't always been a hopeful road for this young starlet. Um, in the early childhood years, uh, she underwent intense bullying and years of res- wrestling with a lot of low self-esteem and depression. Looking at her own reflection became a very, very difficult task for her, and she was constantly reminded of the hurtful words that her peers in school would uh, constantly say to her, and that sort of invaded her mind each time that she took a glance at herself. How have you dealt with the emotional and mental scarring that occurred as a young child? So initially, it was very overwhelming to the point that anytime I looked at my own reflection, it was um, a toxic um understanding of my perception of beauty because of what the peers would say about me and it was a consistency of them saying you know you're too dark you know your hair is too wild why do you look like that being mixed race my mother's part Jamaican part Chinese as well as Cuban my dad's side we have Ghanaian African and when I would ever mention that in the class room or to my peers or the schoolmates they would say you're not that you do not look like a mixed race child, you do not fit that criteria right. or that that mold. So those prejudices about that, and then looking at yourself, it's funny how um, take for example someone who has an eating disorder, an anorexic, for example, who looks into the mirror and sees themselves as being fat um, or overweight, at and the rest of us looking on them and seeing them as being very very slim or very thin. Um, when we are bullied and it enters into our mind are it's like there is a a filter that's been put in front of our eyes and yeah. we're not able to see clearly yeah. anymore how did it start changing for you um it's funny you mentioned about the anorexia nervosa i did struggle with that as well in grade eight to grade seven i actually saw a lot of um America's Next Top Model, and even in school, you know, they were saying I was too thick. I was a thicker, fuller shape when I was younger. So I actually did a lot of 
starvation to look more like what my schoolmates look like. And I went to a more Caucasian predominant school where, you know, everyone was more slim and I just wanted to look like that. There was no, um, there was no visual for me to look up to, so to speak. But what changed or what I used as a, as a, as a momentum to shape how I saw myself was the daily affirmations that I would say about myself and what I believed the creator God had saw me as, you know? And I had went through a series of obstacles in between me actually finding self-identity, identity actually, and that was five years ago. Um, I do wanna go delve deeper just so that my viewers are aware of how the, the process took place. Right. You know, I had, than skin bleaching to look more like the media standards of what mixed race would be. Um, I went to the extent of trying to reconstruct my nose. I did not successfully do any surgery, but I did temporary fixes, which was, you know, plastic insertments into my nose and, you know, wanting to contour my body in a certain way by using just even saran wrap, sweating my body, going into just extreme things that I did not need to, you know, inserting hair weaves, you know, um, it's one thing to wear hair extensions and aesthetically be beautiful um, physically, but if you don't love the raw version of yourself and you can't go outside looking as your natural state at, from time to time, then there's an issue. That means right. there's um, that self-acceptance or that self-awareness of who you are is not at the forefront yet. Or, you know, it's it's that mental understanding of you are not what people say you are. Right. It's when you feel you have to arm yourself in some way before you go out, before the world can see you. If you are unable to do that and you're unable to go out in your raw self, then you are really, truly hiding yourself from the world. I, you know, being someone who is also um, in the modeling realm and an international model myself, um, I prefer to be completely devoid of makeup and devoid of doing my hair and devoid of really dressing up when I'm not on stage and when I'm not in front of a camera. Yep. And it's just because I have to be so done up all the other time. Exactly. I just don't want to be. And if you don't like me the way I am and you think that I'm going to be that finished product magazine cover look person when you meet me and mm. you are shocked, well, get a life. Really, right? right? 100%. <laughs> so that's not us really and no one no actress no model no person who is out there in the public eye looks like that when they wake up no <laughs> and if you do it's because you've done something artificial to yourself to look that way yeah. and that's also another scary part right if you have to fix yourself Always. because then you can only look at yourself when you're fixed exactly in a certain way um so 2014, you started a new path, and we're going to get deeper into that. But just before we go into our um, traffic, tell us a little bit about what was the pivotal moment for you in 2014. 2014 was, I guess, when I found the casting online looking for the face of African Fashion Week. And that's for the, the fashion showcase that takes place every year around August. Um, that was their first annual edition of the face in the search. I applied, when I applied and I got a response, I actually broke into tears because I've never been told that I was beautiful, even growing up. Oh my gosh, you're stunning. <laughs> <laughs> but your smile, the way your eyes just twinkle. There's so much, I, I find beauty in everyone. Wow, right? likewise, likewise. And you really, 
there's there's so much beautiful things to applaud in people. Yes. Yes, I do agree. I do agree. And the fact that I wasn't told that I was beautiful didn't allow me to see or express love. And um, people may say that beauty is like, you know, an eye of the beholder and like it's external and all these things, but I do believe it's the character. Mm-hmm. And when that character shows from the inside, it, it ultimately translates on the outside as well. And you begin to take care of yourself and, you know, you're mentally, everything starts to fall, fall into a nice package and you're now able to encourage others and tell others somebody else that they're beautiful and that they're they're going to be great and that you're powerful or you're just you know you just be able to share that light that you have so absolutely and in in essence sharing that light we're going to come back no radio no problem stream us live on saga960am.ca Here on the source at Saga 960 with Canadian supermodel Nini Amerlees. She has taken the world really by storm. If you're hearing us today, I am here every Saturday and Sunday from 3 to 5 p.m. And I want to say a shout out to my co-host, Terry. Terry Rockra, who's in India. I hope you're safe and you're coming back soon because we miss you here at The Source. We want to have you back. I miss having someone to um, talk to while I'm doing all of this stuff. But if you have a story that needs to be told, an event that you want mentioned, or you just want to come in and chat with us, get in touch with us. You can email us at info at saga960.ca. You can drop myself a line on my Facebook page or, uh, you know, just give us a call. If you're listening in and you're at home, we are live right now. So 416-640-0200. Well, the eight-time award-winning trailblazer Nini Amerlees has been featured and showcased on some of the most prestigious platforms worldwide. Some of Nini's most notable highlights include Vogue UK, Flair Magazine, Be Body Aware Campaign for Vogue Italia, Glamour Magazine, Huffington Post, Daily Mail UK, Jamaica Gleaner, Caribbean Entertainment Magazine, Golden Button Fashion Television Series, New York Fashion Week, LA Fashion Week, Caribbean Fashion Week, and the list goes on and on and on. It is like endless. It's all over the world, really. Tell us how you started as a fashion model. Well, starting in 2014, 2014 was an incredible, incredible transformation, transition in my life. Um, from transitioning from the hardships of my past to now saying, okay, I want to try something new. Started to search online to be potentially a model. And that's when I came across the Kijiji post for the face of African Fashion Week. Wow. Yeah, but I was like, okay, this is interesting. It's almost like a godsend. Yeah. Like it was put right in front of you and it was perfect for you. And... They were looking particularly for um, African African looks, African okay, looks, yeah. Caribbean looks. And I said, hey, I look kind of Caribbean. I'm African. Well, why not try out? And I applied. I applied. And from there, I got a response within two weeks. I literally broke down in tears. Right. Because like I was saying, I had never been told I was beautiful before. And even in my home. Like, my mom wasn't so, like, open with saying, you know, you're beautiful, you're all these None of our things. parents were. I don't even remember right? my, yeah. They, they, parents, we love, they love our love us, but 
they express in different ways. Yes, exactly. And for me, I felt like I needed to hear that when right. I was a kid because it's my mom and I didn't have a dad in my life. My dad actually, um, after having so many different children, he was never consistent in any of his children's life, unfortunately. But I still had a yearning and a desire to want to connect with him. Um, but that transition for 2014, I felt like was the epitome of rebirth because um, when I got accepted into the competition itself, I didn't place, not even in top five, but somebody came up to me after and told me, you have a lot more to offer. You should give a little bit of sass and energy in your walk. Um, you have more to show. Why not be the real you? And I was like, wow, okay. That was like the clicker that went off in my mind. I said, okay, I need to, to, to Step mold. Step it up and a little bit. This, so what did you do at that point? Were, did you join a fashion um, um, agency or did you ha- get some coaching? How did you step it up? So I started to do research, consistent research. What does every model need to know? Um, I realized that every person, every model needs a portfolio, photography, um, training, an agent, either an agent or a management. It can be independent management. I, however, did come across um, bad representation in the industry, bad management, where I actually got scammed $1,000, and I used that $1,000 from my school tuition funds to put towards. Wow. <laughs> yeah, because I wanted to try something new. But then I realized if I will never go anywhere if I don't try. So that consistency of almost failing failing, failing, and then finally getting an answer. Um, I did a lot of volunteer shows. A lot of volunteer shows would actually help to mold my walk because I couldn't afford to take the classes at the time. I didn't. I couldn't afford, after paying $1,000 to a scam agency, I can't just enroll into something else different. So I had to wait either complete school or you know consistently use the funds that I'm getting for school into paying into another agency. So I chose school first and at the same time doing modeling at the side. Right. And after I graduated, I actually graduated in 2013, and 2014 was that that year where I said, okay, I'm going to really just go full throttle. I have nothing to lose. I did over 100 volunteer shows within the two-year span of 2014 to 2016, but there was um, a hardship that actually took place in the 2014 year, which I got invited to um, my friend's birthday party that I had um, connected to in the modeling industry in 2015, January, I actually got raped. When I was raped, I, I, you know, I said, why is all these things happening to me? I don't understand. Like, since I've been a kid, I've been going through so much trauma, you know, now going through all the, the insecurity issues. I'm going into an industry that I want change. Why are all these hardships happening? Wow. I was not only raped, I was impregnated and contracted two STDs. So... Oh my gosh. My mind was in like a full ground zero. I wasn't, I couldn't, I felt like I couldn't pull myself out of this one. And um, that's where the reinvention took place where I said, you know, all my life actually I was an atheist and I didn't have any belief system. My mother was always a Bible, like a Jesus believer. And my dad, I don't even know because I connected to him. But for me, I just never had like a faith system. My 
being the mixed race, I've been connected to different religions. You know, I was connected to Hinduism um, because the Hakka, because I'm Hakka Chinese. So Hakka is Chinese and Indian. So I was connected to Hinduism. I was also connected to Sikh. Um, studied even parts of Muslim. Um, <laughs> there's different, different, different things. Right, so all of these components built into you. How did you pull yourself out of that dark abyss? How basically I was pulled out or how I felt like I was pulled out is because when I went to go find out the results for the um, being pregnant one and then the contraption of the STDs, I had actually an angelic interaction when I was waiting in the clinic. When I was in the clinic, I saw a huge angel randomly appear before me and I was like, whoa, like, um, <laughs> is this happening? Is this real? And he was massive. He had huge wings, golden white. Like I remember him like yesterday, golden white. And then I looked to my left of me and I saw a baby floating from me. And then I was like, okay, this is some spiritual like interaction I've never had in my life before, but I do believe that there's some, something bigger than me. And there, there's, there must be a creator because if this is happening before my eyes, like this is mind blowing. And I saw the baby wrapped in this gold blanket and he was a boy and he floated to the angel and then the angel like stood very firmly tall. He was not talking, anything like that. And Took, had the baby in his arms and then disappeared the moment the the lady, the, the doctor came in to tell me the news. So then from there, I kind of had an indication that I was pregnant. I just didn't know that this was actually like what's going on. But I had a foreshadowing, I believe. And then from hearing that news, that's when I actually broke down in tears because my mom didn't know that I was raped and I had to go home and express all of these things. And then wow. my mom was frustrated. My mom's like, hey, we need to find him. We need to report this. And then it just kind of escalated. But then I went into a deep depression. From there, my sister actually told me, actually, I unfortunately aborted the child because my mental state was not stable. But um, from there, my mom, or actually my sister, my second sister, which is, I remember I told you three sisters. My second sister told me, why don't you come to church? I want to invite you to a church retreat. And I'm like, oh, I don't know. like Right, it a, wasn't your thing. No. Yeah. But then I, I said, you know what, why not? Because I really need, I needed some sort of change in my life. And then from there, got invited to church. They spoke about Jesus Christ and how, you know, he took the burdens of our pains and sins and that I no longer had to struggle anymore. And I chose to follow him as my Lord and Savior. And from then, everything kind of just began to develop my character, my boldness, kind of to start to align finally. And I've never felt beautiful before. And for the first time, I actually heard the Creator speak to me through the Word. Tell us about your experience walking in some of the most prestigious fashion shows across the world, New York Fashion Week, LA Fashion Week, and uh, also being on the covers of top, top magazines. When that started to take place, the first time I ever walked in New York Fashion Week was in 2016. Before that, my first ever Fashion Week experience was in 2016 as well. And that was Toronto Fashion Week when I wa walked for House of Not. When she asked me, she said, hey, you know, we worked together before. Would you be interested in opening my show? I said, yes. From there, it just started to simultaneously accumulate with different doors of opportunity. Then to New York Fashion Week, walked for, you know, Kenneth Barless and some of the great designers that are known. Um, Kenneth Barless works with Nicki Minaj and Beyonce and all these great, great um, celebrities. And to know that I've come in contact with such people tells me that all of us have so much purpose and that we have the opportunity to just go after the call. Yeah. 
Yeah. If you are willing to open your mindset to receiving those um, blessings, and if you are in the mindset to grow others in that process, yes. because if you are in that selfish uh, mindset of just growing yourself, mm-hmm. um, you're limiting it. 100%. And and so you started with all of this. What was the feeling for you if you were to give advice to someone who is about to start their journey into becoming a fashion model? Um, what would be the number one advice to give to someone as they are getting ready to walk on a ramp? Well, to go on the runway ramp. Um, so first and foremost, what I always say to any of my students or any of the models that I come in contact with, I say, just emulate being a queen or a king. See yourself as that brilliant creation that you are designed to be. Before you step on that runway, know that it doesn't matter who's watching you, that you have been designed for that greatness. So when you start to recalibrate that mind frame, you go out there like this huge lioness or this lion and you take step by step, like you're walking on this amazing path of, of greatness and excellence and you're on this lonely road, but it doesn't. it's okay because they're watching you and they're being inspired by you. You're bringing them into the experience. So when you see that, that, that atmosphere shift, you now are in control and you are not affected by what people are saying or what they're seeing, but you know who you are. And when you do, it's like a boom. Everything, your mindset shifts. Now, this is something that has um, probably a question that many are asking is, were you able to bring the perpetrator of your rape uh, to justice? Like, was So unfortunately, we were not because I didn't have the details the details of where he was located or where he was from due to the intoxication that had taken place before and the drop-off. So when I mean drop-off, I was dropped home. No car license plate, no number to call back, no no location or coordinates. So I can't just, and I didn't have a name. So I could not just say, oh, this and this person. Right, you had no information, so unfortunately. This is quite tragic. Um, There are so many questions uh, for other women who are in this industry um, and exposing themselves. What are some of the frustrations as a model that you have faced? So ironically enough, some of the frustrations that I've faced now so to speak, has been more present now. So when I went to South Africa, um, I've had photographers manipulate me into actually telling me to, oh yeah, take off your clothes and, you know, um, but in the contract, it doesn't say for you to take off your clothes. In the contract, I actually state with my agency very formally, I do not, I do not oblige to take off my clothes. I, if at minimal, it would just be a nude bra and nude underwear but we went to the extent of them actually manipulating me and actually commanding me, if you do not do this, then you are, you know. And then the pressures are now held upon me because it's a large magazine. And then when I had brought into the awareness of my agency, then they were trying to do something and then I would hear threats and saying, oh, the lawyer is gonna do this and all sorts of other stuff. And um, I actually brought this to the television station in South Africa, but they refused to show it, so. Wow. Yeah. 
that's uh, a lot of pressure that um, despite you having stated because even with my agency when they put out you know what are you comfortable doing and I've stated very clearly I won't do um, you know for my own comfort comfort, I will not do um, lingerie I will not do um, you know disrobed in any way and that sort of thing and that's stated very clearly and I'm very happy that my agency is respectful of that and they never put me in a position like that but we'll come back and talk to you a little later on in our show um, about the impact of that and how we as women have to take our voice and make it heard out there stream us live at saga960am.ca tuned in to The Source here at Saga 960. You can hear me every Saturday and Sunday from 3 to 5 p.m. And again, we are on repeat from 9 to 11, as well as on Thursday, I'm on repeat from 8 to 10. If you miss out on any of our shows, our shows are available on podcast on our website. And uh, we're very happy to hear from you. So if you have a story you want to share with me, you want to talk to our guests at any time, you feel free to call us at 416 Six four zero zero two zero zero. Feel free to call in, and we do have producers here. I do want to say thank you to all of our producers here in the studio that are making the show amazing for us. If you are stuck at home, well, we'll give you an opportunity to have a conversation with us here. And we have in studio today Nini Amerlees. And she is one of Canada's supermodels, and it has been her drive, her consistency, and her ability to overcome challenges that has led to her success. In 2014, Nini embarked on a new trajectory, including her search of self-identity and love. And while she was tapping into this world of fashion, she was also able to get to her feet um, and uh, emerge as a model with massive potential. And I'm talking incredibly massive potential. Nini, you've gone on to walk some of the most prestigious runways and ramps and also cover and grace some of the most incredible magazines. But we were talking in specific just before we went to break and uh, before we went into our news section with regard to some of the stresses and pressures that you face as a, as a model. And I think I'd like to uh, continue that conversation because there are a lot of young people who are listening who are interested in getting into the industry. And it's also important for those who are in the industry to know that people who have a voice are not going to remain quiet. Let's hear from you. So I do agree. Um, it's so important to, if, to know if you have a platform to be able to lend a voice or lend a hand for those who are coming into the industry or those who want to tap in. And, you know, some of the difficulties that I've overall faced was more and less pressures about um, the way I look. And, you know, casting directors or, you know, particular designers are always looking for a more slimmer frame and certain certain looks and even being um, a minority um, we usually are the token models in a lot of the the fashion shows or even for campaigns and editorials so to be able to break out of that the consistency of actually booking more um, diverse looks and not always looking for the typical 
looks that are shown in the, 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 the social media or just media overall and it's predominantly more Caucasian when I'm looking for more like you know even Eastern Asian or um, blacks and just all types of races coming together and showing that diversity of beauty because when we show different aspects of our cultural differences and putting that into our forefront, then we can see that we can um, resonate with that imagery and say, hey, if this person is doing this, then I can do it too. So um, I guess more or less breaking that mold and that consistency of showing that standard version of beauty and putting in the inclusivity of different cultural races, because we're really all our one, but we need that that visual um perspective so that we can see ourselves in it. Right. Now, you uh, went on to win the Rising Star Canadian Model of the Year in 2016 um, at the African Industry Awards uh, as well. Now, you've won several awards recently with regard to, um, and also Miss Ghana, uh, you won as well. Tell us about these experiences. So in 2018, I won Miss Ghana, and I was in Los Angeles. I was actually quite um, shocked by that because I was never really connected to my Ghanaian roots and to even be acknowledged for that it was a different experience. I got to learn about the culture a lot more, did more research, got, was told by particular people in the industry about the Ghanaian community and just the country overall, the food, the, the displays of dance, and just I felt like I was learning a part of me that I never knew before and unlocking that. And then the recent awards with like, you know, Best Canadian Model by Blacks.com and um, as well as the recent award award in Los Angeles that happened last week by Afri Famu, um, that was in the category for using your talent and to impact young women. And to even be acknowledged for that was quite mind blowing because like, you never know who's really listening to your story and who's actually taking those nuggets to apply to their own lives. So um, it was very powerful and it's a humbling experience because I feel like I'm actually fulfilling purpose, not in the means of actually being in the entertainment industry, but using that platform as a voice to others so that they can also share their voice, which also brings in the factor of We Are Royals because We Are Royals is a platform that allows others to share their story, not so much focusing on who Nini is, but it's the royals overall. And I believe that a royal is a king and a queen that sees their purpose or is working on their steps, moving towards their purpose and as one shares their story I'm using arts and culture or arts and culture for them to um, tap into different aspects of themselves they begin to find I guess more awareness of the possibilities of who they can become and that's the foregrounds of what We Are Royals is about to give a a safe atmosphere or a safe environment to be conducive to be who you are without any judgments Altogether. So the mandate of, okay, so We Are Royals is a platform that Nini has actually developed and her team have been putting it out there. Um, they have been working in the last year to provide a platform in which she's able to take her experience in the modeling world and give an opportunity to others to have a platform in order to showcase their own skills in modeling. Nini, what are some of the... Um, uh, events or something that you are doing with this platform and how are you furthering fashion and, and modeling? So 
it's not actually not focused only on fashion. It's going to be all the artistic elements. So you can be even a film director, an author. You can be a culinary specialist. You can be a makeup artist. It's all different aspects for those who love the creative world and want to explore. And there's going to be an offering of workshops and stuff like that where these young royals can go into through these mentors who will actually be consistently with them throughout the one seven to eight week program that will be taking place in 2021 but there's going to be a symposium that will be taking place later on this year in fall winter where they get a chance to meet the mentors that they will be connecting with at these symposiums and they're going to be in their niche markets so whether they are a film director whether they are a stylist makeup artist model or actor they have an opportunity to speak to these youths in an interactive manner where the youths and the the panelists get to converge and share their opinions and share their insights and wisdoms about what they've experienced in their niche markets. And from there, they get to mentor on with these particular speakers and grow as they grow. They get to say, okay, whether or not they want to be a makeup artist or they can actually switch from that program and go on to another program. But it's just a growing experience for them to tap into their potential and purpose. Now, what would you suggest for what would be the ideal time or age for someone to get into the industry? What's your advice for someone who is in school, for example, and is frustrated with something that's happening in school because they're not interested? Would you suggest that you they go through a different path and then start into modeling? What's your advice? Well, I'm taking it from what I've experienced. And I felt that if I didn't get the education I got prior to entering the modeling industry in the means of school curriculum, then I wouldn't be as able to progressively be successful in the industry because the education and the curriculum and you know the formal um, way of teaching allowed me to have a structure. And that structure carried on into being in the industry because now I had to learn about organization, timeliness, schedules, you know, being on time. All those different aspects was something that I developed while being in the infrastructure of education and the curriculum. So, yeah. And uh, when you were starting out, was there someone in particular that you had as a mentor? When I was first starting out, not so much, but there were models that I look up I looked up into when I decided to venture into the industry. Who were they? Naomi Campbell was right. one of them. I, I adore, I adore her. Did you see her last week with her hazmat suit and yes. horses? Right. The entire covering, thing. making sure no yeah. coronavirus touches her. Yes, <laughs> I, I completely resonate. I would probably have done the same exact thing. <laughs> I would have actually, lo- I would love for her to be one of my mentors one day to actually just teach me the 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 don'ts i want to know the don'ts of what not to do so that there's a preventative of me you know not breaking like her teaching me what things that she probably did wrong and then showing me how i can improve and better so you're avoiding those pitfalls because why go through it when it's already been created exactly and then i love um i actually look up to oprah Oprah's, um, have you reached out to either of your mentors? You know, They're not mentors in the right sense, but have you ever reached out to their um, publicity agents or their managers in any way? Funny enough, funny enough, 
Um, <laughs> Ms. Royale. <laughs> I re- recently looked up some details. I'm like, okay, I need to take the step of boldness to say, hey, I need to connect with these folks if I really want to get somewhere because they're, they're, they've already done it. So why not learn from those who have already gone through it, you know? And um, Oprah's... I don't really want to disclose that information, but I, I've gotten into close contacts with. Oh, yeah. so if you keep listening or following this young lady, you might find uh, there is something that's going to be happening in her life with, <laughs> uh, with regard to uh, all of this. Um in light of our current situation, let's talk about the impact of um, coronavirus and COVID-19 on artists like you and myself, on uh, those people who are in the entertainment industry and the impact that, uh, because we're all gig-based, we attend uh, shootings or we're on sets, uh, we have fashion shows. Um, I know that I was supposed to be in a fashion show tomorrow that's been cancelled. Um, I had several events that uh, in the next upcoming week that were cancelled. How is this going to affect uh, the fashion industry? Well, definitely I would say that a lot of the events probably won't even be taking place for quite some time. And I've seen that even for a lot of the fashion weeks, they've decided to do virtual fashion shows. So still keeping up with the entertainment, still keeping up with the activity so that their, um, I guess their sphere of influence does not get crowded or shut down. So those virtual fashion shows keeps us entertained and still connected until when they can recuperate and resurface again with their interactive shows. And so we're finding out with this onset a lot of, I want to talk about the psychology behind why toilet paper Mm. has been disappearing off of our shelves. Let's talk about that a little bit. It's a little weird, right? But why do you think, what's your insight into why people are hoarding toilet paper? Um, I'm thinking in the means of how to make money, so to speak. Like, so they're gathering as much of toilet paper off the shelves and how to, you know, Say, okay, if this is a scare, why not store as much as I can? That's, (laughs) yeah. Well, people are uh, resorting to extremes when they hear conflicting messages. And Steve Taylor is a clinical psychologist and the author of The Psychology of Pandemics. Mm -hmm. And uh, it takes a historic look at how people behave and respond to pandemics. And compared to past pandemics, the global response to the novel coronavirus has been really one of widespread panic. Wow. Right? And on one hand, the response is understandable. But on the other hand, it is excessive. Now, he is a professor and clinical psychologist at the University of British Columbia. And as he said it uh, to CNN, he says, we can prepare without panicking. The novel coronavirus scares people because it's new. Mm. And there's a lot of it that's not unknown. Uh, it's still, there's a lot of unknowns with it. When people hear conflicting messages about the risk it poses and how seriously they should prepare for it, they tend to resort to the extreme. And so that is one aspect. We're going to go into a commercial break and we're going to come back and talk about some of the other reasons. No radio? No problem. Stream us live on saga960am.ca. xbit.com now and use the promo code Canada to claim 125% first deposit bonus. 
You're listening to The Source here on Saga 960 here, and uh, we're here every Saturday and Sunday from 3 to 5 p.m. I'm Annie Koshi, and usually I would have my co-host with me, Terry Rakra, who is in India. He's going to be back only in a couple of weeks, and so you've got yours truly here every weekend, so tune in. And tomorrow we are going to have an amazing real estate broker investor who's going to come in and talk to us about the changes that are happening in the market with the ongoing coronavirus epidemic or pandemic. But today, we have amazing Canadian supermodel, Nini Emerlise, and uh, we're back in conversation with her. Nini, I want to talk about your recent trip to Africa. This was a first for you. You went back to your homeland, and uh, you got a chance to spend time there. It was for a magazine. You had a couple of shoots and whatnot there. But more than anything else, tell us about your experience there. What was it like to land back there, and what was Africa like for you? So Africa was exactly how I kind of envisioned it, but so much more. Um, the mountains, the beaches, the the people, you know, it was a compilation to make the experience something that I can never forget. The moment I landed off the plane, I would say, wow, I made it to Mama Africa. Like being 25 years old at the time and which was a couple months ago. And, <laughs> and finally saying, hey, I made it. None of my family's ever been to Africa. Okay. And, um, you know, there's like some pluses and some po- positives, some negatives. Um, one scare that actually took place was, um, you know, when my friend actually got, was held in hostage. And You're serious? Yes. Was, so... <laughs> Are you both models? And she was held in hostage. It was a male. It was a male. It was a male, and um, he had his phone out in his back pocket. You know how in Canada nobody's really going to like take your right. phone out of your back pocket, but in South Africa, it's actually very, very um, highly t- spoken about that if you leave your phone out for a couple seconds or even on it, somebody will just take it out of your hands. If even if you're regularly in the streets, walking in certain areas, they will rob you. Wow, and that's very, very common, especially as a woman after six p.m. you should not be on the streets you can get raped murdered killed all sorts of stuff that can take place even on the minibuses it's not safe if you are from an international country coming in if they realize that you're not a local they will take advantage so wow yeah and so how did that get resolved what happened tell us this is like a good great story (laughs) what i hope it has a happy ending yes it does okay well tell us so this individual a fellow model um i think i believe he had his phone out held him in hostage, put him into a room, badgered him with questions, eventually they let him go, but he was traumatized by the whole experience. So, Gosh, yes, I can imagine. Is he also a fellow Canadian? Ah, uh, no. He's from the U.S., but he he's, from the, he's a model, so... <laughs> right. He was not into all of this at all. And so, uh, how long were you in Africa? Um, almost three months. Three months. Yes. Did you find, uh, what was the most um, amazing moment for you? The most amazing moment for me was after a bit of my hardships that I experienced after not getting like casted by a lot of casting directors after one month of denies, I finally got a placement with Travel Africa TV as their TV presenter host. And um, I got to experience some of the best 
adventures of a lifetime. I went ziplining for the very first time in my life. And, you know, I've always been afraid of heights, always been afraid of planes. Even when I go to pla- on a plane to this very day, I'm freaking out. I'm like, God, please, I mean, the plane drop out of the sky. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. So you have out. a fear of flying. <laughs> flying. Okay. <laughs> and so you went ziplining. Wow, I don't know if I'd have the courage to do that. I'm not one. I'm, so if I go to any amusement park, Nini, I like to hold everyone's things and stand on the side and I will take pictures of you. I happily take pictures of you. I happily guard over your things. You go have fun. But even an elevator going down too fast and your you know your heart goes to your throat, that that butterfly feeling, mm-hmm. I'm not very fond of that. Mm. And I'm not fond of, uh, you know, horrible turbulence where the plane drops for a couple of yeah. feet and stuff. That really freaks me out. Mm-hmm. Me too. Yeah. Me too. Not fond of it. <laughs> so zip lining is not something, it, it doesn't, some people enjoy that uh, it's so rush. Peaceful. It's so peaceful. It's peaceful. Yes. <laughs> I do think that if it was something, you know, through the canopy of a fa- of, yes. a, of the rainforest and you're just traversing over mm-hmm. it in a very smooth, I think I would be able to handle that. But go. I, I envision it as like almost like a 90 degree drop. <laughs> No, no, no. You're actually going from one mountain to the next. Yeah, in my head, I was thinking that's on par with bungee jumping. That's... Uh, (laughs) Not sure about that. Okay, so that was an amazing experience for you. Was there something you ate there that you had never eaten before? Yes. Oh, my gosh. Okay, they're going to get... My friends are going to get upset if I don't remember the name. Um, I think it's like... Something sister, something. Ah, so you've forgotten the name. There you go. If you're listening and you're friends to Nini, you can text her madly later and say, yeah. Cook sister, cook sister, cook sister. Okay, what is it? And it's like this baked pastry and it's fried. It's refried with sugars. It tastes so good. It's a cook sister, and it tastes like, it's like a candy baked pastry. What would you, can like, compare it with here um i've been to some indian um bazaars and they have they have like this um i can't remember the name but it it tastes so good and it's it's usually fried as well and it's sweet and i'm like wow this is great it reminds me of that and so you have a sweet too so that's something now were you encouraged to did you have an opportunity to meet any of your family when you were there do you have family there in south africa no but in ghana yes I was invited to go speak in Ghana, but it didn't work out, unfortunately, because okay. the coordinator said there was a, a discrepancy with travel plans and accommodations. So, yeah. Right. But recently you had an opportunity to meet with a, your grandmother. Yes. Where was that? So that was in Jamaica. And my great grandmother is actually from Ghana. She lives in Jamaica currently. And this was the first time you met? First time ever. She's 98 years old. And um, I saw the similarities. What did you find? She was always so giggle box like myself. I'm, I'm a giggle box. I'm a giggle bear. I love to laugh. And she was laughing at everything. Like <laughs> she was just filled with joy. And like she loved to give hugs and be very warm and just, you know, compassionate. She loved the fact that I came from miles away to connect with her. It's interesting to be in conversation here with Nini Amerlees. Nini, if someone wanted to get a hold of you and if you've got someone listening right now and you want to see Nini on your stage, how could people get a hold of you? Well, you can contact my management or myself 
uh, via info at niniamerlees.com. Spelled it out for our listeners. Please. So it's N-I-N-I-A-M-E-R-L-I-S-E.com. And as well as my website, www.niniamerlees.com. All social media is Nini Amerlees, as well as Instagram, Nini underscore for you. There you go. We had in studio today Nini Amerlees, who is a Canadian supermodel, and she has uh, walked and graced the stages of all of the prestigious events right across the world, um, from New York Fashion Week to LA Fashion Week, has been on the covers of umpteen magazines, recently been on several high-profile interviews here in, in Canada as well as uh, inter- internationally. And... Um, It was a pleasure to have you here in studio. Thank you. And so there we have it. There is a, you know, we are heading towards the last part of our um, our show today. But I wanted to continue on with the conversation about uh, reasons why people are hoarding perhaps toilet paper. Well, reason number two is that some are reacting to the lack of a clear direction from officials. Several countries have already imposed mass quarantines and people buying up toilet paper and other household supplies may be preparing for the same thing in their city. Now, this is by said to us by a psychologist and professor in the Department of Engineering and Public Policy at the Institute for Politics and Strategy in Carnegie Mellon uh, University. His name is Barush Fishoff. And now, unless people have seen official promises that everyone will be taken care of, they are left to guess at the probability of needing the extra toilet paper sooner than later. And now the fact is that no official promises might increase those possibilities. Now, panic buying begets Panic buying. So images of empty shelves, shopping carts piled high with supplies, that uh, it's all over the news. If you look at social media, that's all you're seeing. People see images of panic buyers, long lineups, um, queues lined up outside of stores before the stores are even opened up. And that begets people thinking, oh my gosh, I got to get out there and do it. Otherwise, I'm going to run out. Well, People being social creatures, we look at each other for cues as to what is safe and what is dangerous. And when you see someone in the store panic, and I saw images yesterday of Costco opening up and people running, running as though it was one of those shopping cart cooking shows, you know, where you had to, you had 30 seconds to fill your shopping cart with all the things that you wanted to cook. But this wasn't a cooking show. This wasn't something lighthearted. These were shoppers who were intent on getting stuff and were barreling down the aisles. I felt like they needed traffic cops for shopping carts now in Costco. Um, And, you know, yesterday afternoon, we heard the incident where someone who pulled a gun in a Loblaws downtown. You know, social media is a huge player in novel coronavirus fear mongering and misinformation spreads with ease on open platforms that amplify voices of panic. So if you're hearing my voice right now, calm down, people. How much toilet paper do you really need? You're not going to be in quarantine. I bought toilet paper from Costco a year ago. I still have it. Really? You know, like those are massive packages of toilet paper rolls. How much toilet paper do you use? And in all honesty, as long as you have water, you have soap, you're going to be okay. Really, get over it, people. Number four, um, it's a natural 
reason to over-prepare. And I don't know about you, but I know those friends who have that stocked shelf downstairs in their basement with every single item under the sun. In fact, if we went into a crisis situation for a year, they probably have enough stuff. It's filled with dry pasta, bottled goods, dried, you know, legumes, boxes of macaroni and cheese. You've got everything under the sun and umpteen boxes of, of I don't know, uh, bounce or, you know, fabric softener and detergents and, oh gosh, well, we all have that type of friend, right? Well, those people need to realize that those people who are out there that really need it, perhaps the elderly or people who are purchasing things on a weekly basis because that's how they are able to afford it, you've now taken those opportunities away from that. So there may be some practicality in stocking up, but for the most part, I think all of us have enough in our houses already to be able to sustain a two-week stay at home. So in all reality, other than essentials, um, you know, you should be fine. Uh, Supermarkets in Australia are largely selling out of toilet paper due to the novel uh, coronavirus fears. Um, You're going to find that uh, a lot of people, um, they're facing this just because of fear and not because uh, there is an actual shortage. But there you go. That's our uh, show for today. And that's it for The Source here at Saga 960. We're going to be back tomorrow at 3 o'clock with my guest, Tony Ning. No radio? No problem. Stream us live on saga960am.ca. With the brand new iPhone SE for less than 100 bucks at Metro, you rule. It's the most affordable iPhone ever on the number one brand in prepaid. So whether you're studying online or FaceTiming. Hey, Mom. Hi, dear. The iPhone SE has all you need. Switch to Metro and get the iPhone SE for just $99.99 after rebate redemption and six months of service. Metro by T-Mobile. Rule your day. Limit one per account slash household. Requires port and ID validation. Not valid for numbers currently on the T-Mobile network or active on Metro in past 90 days. Restrictions apply. See store for details. At T-Mobile, you don't have to choose between a great network and the best prices. We give you both. Switch your family of three or more from AT&T or Verizon to T-Mobile Essentials, and you'll save up to 50% off your current service and smartphones. Bring your current phones to T-Mobile, and we'll pay them off up to $450 each. Visit T-Mobile.com to find out how to save up to 50%. Up to $450 via virtual prepaid card for eligible device payoff. Allow 15 days. Savings may vary. See T-Mobile.com.